Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Like Susan said, it is December 1st. I am so excited about that. Woohoo! <laughs> I love Christmas. I love the holidays. Such a great time to just really enjoy friends and family and to even focus on what the meaning, what the purpose of this life is here for us. Uh, but you know what? I want to talk for a few minutes about something that happened in the summer. Uh, it actually happened about six months ago. Uh, it happened on a Saturday, Saturday, June 23rd of 2018, halfway across the world in Thailand. Uh, what happened was there was a soccer team, a team known as the Wild Boars. They were made up of 12 young boys, uh, ranging in age from 11 to 16, and their 25-year-old coach. And these 12 young boys and their coach became trapped in a cave. Now, apparently it was the 16th birthday of one of the boys. And so after their soccer practice, they had a little party to celebrate. And then they said that they wanted to go exploring in an underground cave complex, kind of to get an adventure and celebrate the birthday together. So the coach agreed to go with them and accompany them on this journey. Uh, the cave complex that they went into is known as Tom Luang, and that in English means big cave. <laughs> and it was a big cave. There are seven miles of cave tunnels underneath this mountainous area there, narrow passages there, great for exploring in Thailand. Well, the boys decided that they weren't gonna tell their parents because they knew if they told their parents, their parents would say no. <laughs> so they decided that they would go after practice just for an hour and do a little bit of exploring there. And they dropped off their stuff, went into the cave, and they had a great time adventuring around in these dark underground cave tunnels. Well, when the boys were underground, they didn't know that it began to dump rain outside. Uh, they were inside dry and exploring with their flashlights, and they didn't know that outside it was just dumping rain. And by the time that they had reached a portion of the cave known as Pattaya Beach, they were two and a half miles in to that cave system. And when they finally turned around to go back out, they couldn't leave because all the trails that they had gone in on were flooded due to these monsoon rains. They were trapped there under the cave and they were trapped in the darkness. Well, that night when they didn't come home, the parents began to wonder, where are our sons? Uh, what happened? They went to soccer practice and they became worried. They began to communicate with one another, talk on the phone. Then word came from some friends that they went to explore Tom Luang. They went there and sure enough, all of their bikes and backpacks and shoes were parked outside the mouth of this now flooded cave. 
that no one could get into and no one could get out of. Well, the next day, the local governor there on Sunday decided to bring in equipment to pump water out so that they could get to the boys. And they brought in machines and they were able to point out, pump out 1.2 million liters of water per hour. And yet it didn't seem to make a dent in the water that was there in those flooded caves. Uh, Navy SEALs were called in, and they had rotating teams of six divers that were searching and searching to find these boys, but they were nowhere to be found because this was an extremely difficult task. The caves themselves were pitch black. They were totally dark, and the water itself was muddy. So even with the lights that the divers carried, they really couldn't see more than three inches in front of their face as they were exploring and looking for these boys. Now, because the boys were only planning to stay for about an hour, they didn't bring extra food with them. They had canteens, but soon their water ran out. And even though they were in the darkness, they were able to get fresh water to drink from the stalactites that were in the caves. There was fresh water dripping from the stalactites, so they were able to stand underneath those with their mouth open and get some water. By the third day, day three, the news had spread and over 1,500 journalists from around the world had come out to these caves to report on what would happen to these 12 boys and their coach. There were expert divers that came in from around the world and they continued to work around the clock to try to save these boys that were trapped there in darkness. Well, day four came and went. Day five came and went. Day six, day seven, day eight, day nine. From Tuesday, June 26th to Sunday, July 1st, all week and over the weekend, these rescue teams made one unsuccessful attempt after the next at locating these trapped boys. They did learn that earlier in 1987, French geologists had gone in there and made extensive maps, mapping out these cave regions, and they used those maps to follow the trails in the dark deeper in. And finally, they discovered footprints in the, in the cave. And by the footprints, there was a T-junction, and they realized that the boys must have gone upward, and so they traveled on. Now again, this was not easy. The water was like cold coffee. It was 18 degrees Celsius, and there were strong monsoon currents. The water wasn't just tepid or still, it was rushing and running everywhere. There were tiny passages, passageways there where they couldn't even get their scuba gear through the passageways, but they continued to search. And then on Monday, the 10th day, July 2nd, two British divers that were there working, they got to what they considered to be the end of the line and they were ready to turn around and give up. They popped up in the water and one of them 
said he smelled something. Remember, it's pitch black. He smelled something that smelled like people. And although they were two and a half miles away from the entrance in the pitch dark, they took their flashlight and called out to see if anybody was there. And there was one boy in the group that spoke English. Here's an actual video that these two divers took when they found the boys. How, how many of you? 13. Brilliant. What day is it, the boys ask? Monday. Monday. You have been here 10 days. 10 days. You are very strong. We we are happy too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So where you come from? England, UK. Oh, oh indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. How many of you? Okay, well, can you imagine how these boys must have felt uh, after being there for 10 days in that darkness and then suddenly, out of nowhere, a light shined upon them. A light shined upon them to rescue them. They were trapped there with no hope of getting out. And suddenly there was this light. Someone had come to their rescue. Uh, we're on slide 18 for the AV. So we're gonna take a few minutes to look at a passage from the New Testament. Uh, Matthew 4, 12 through 17. And as we look through this passage, we're gonna see that in a sense, we are like those 12 trapped boys and their coach. Uh, in a sense, we're trapped in darkness with no hope unless someone were to come and rescue us, bringing us out of the darkness into the light by the light of which we need to be saved. So let's read this passage together. Matthew 4, 12 through 17. It says, now when he, speaking of Jesus, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John the Baptist was arrested, he had done his job, and it was time for Jesus' official ministry to begin. So he left the southern part of Israel, the region of Judea and Jerusalem, and he headed north. He went up uh, to the northern area there to a town called Capernaum. 
And this was a very strategic place for him to go because there were all sorts of men and women there. Men and women of different ethnicities and different socioeconomic statuses, just all sorts of different people. Now again, those who lived in Capernaum were in the region of Galilee and they were primarily uh, Gentiles. And Gentiles are just non-Jewish people. So they were considered to be people who lived in darkness. And as the text says, those dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region and shadow of, of death on them, a light has dawned. So Jesus went there because there was great opportunity to minister to all sorts of people. But as Matthew pointed out, it was really more than just that. Because 700 years earlier, 700 years, I mean, to us that would be like being in the 1300s, right? 700 years earlier, there was a prophecy, a statement made by a prophet of God that said that when the Messiah came, he would bring light. He would bring light to Galilee of the Gentiles. That's what our text that we just read said. It said, after he heard that John was arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Again, Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus was, was ministering. We might think, well, where did Isaiah say that? Well, let's look at Isaiah and see where he said that. Isaiah chapter nine, verses one and two. Isaiah nine, one and two says, there will be no gloom for who, her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light shone. Isn't that what we just read in Matthew? We might be thinking, what is going on here? Well, the Old Testament is loaded with statements like this. These are called messianic prophecies. They're statements, they're truths about the coming Messiah. Facts that God revealed far in advance to his people, hundreds and hundreds of years before, so that when they did happen, all of humanity would know that what God said was true, and they would know whom to look for. They would know how to identify their Messiah, their Savior. So Matthew points out that Jesus went to minister in the land of Galilee of the Gentiles to fulfill messianic prophecy because this is what Isaiah had said would happen 700 years before. Now, again, the Old Testament is just loaded with these messianic prophecies, these statements about this coming Messiah, this coming Savior, and what uh, his life is going to be like. 
At your table, you've all been given a gift. It's an Advent book, and it just contains 24 select prophecies. Things that were said in the Old Testament hundreds, even thousands of years before Jesus was born, and then how they were fulfilled in the person in the life of Jesus. And you can read the Old Testament and read the New Testament, and you can look at history and you can say, this is incredible. How would anyone have known so far in advance what the life, what the person of the Messiah was going to be like. These things have been given to us by God as proof, as proof so that we would know that what he said is true and that we would know that Jesus was who he said he was as God spoke these things through the prophets. And you might think, well, why did he use prophets? Why didn't God just write things down himself? You know, he did write things down himself at first. Uh, if you remember the 10 commandments, they were written on stone by the finger of God. Uh, back in Exodus, in the very beginning with Moses, it says, God said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So God wrote these things down himself on stone. But you know what? Just because God wrote them down himself, it wasn't enough. The people still didn't obey. They didn't do what he said. But God, in his great love, he continued to speak to us and he spoke to us through the prophets again and again, teaching us, instructing us, and letting us know what was going to happen in the future so that when it did happen, we could know with confidence that God had spoken to us and what he said was true, that this was his doing. And this is something that really we just can't blow over. We can't just dismiss this or disregard this. We have to all intellectually think through this whole thing of these messianic prophecies or predictive prophecies. How did these prophecies get written down hundreds and hundreds of years before they occurred? I mean, think about it. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to this planet, hundreds of years before, God revealed that he was gonna be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says that the Messiah, the Savior, he will be born in the city of Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, God revealed that he would die, be executed with criminals, and yet be with a rich man in his death. We know that Jesus died a slave's death, executed on a Roman cross. And we know that after he died, a very rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, took his body and placed it in a rich man's tomb. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, God revealed that Jesus would be hailed 
by the Jews, by the Jewish people as their coming king. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, humbly, and the whole nation that was there would cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know that this actually happened. On Palm Sunday, Jesus got on a donkey and rode into the great city of Jerusalem and they laid out the palm branches and exclaimed, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's just three things right there. Three out of hundreds. And those three things, they couldn't have been orchestrated by Jesus. Jesus couldn't have orchestrated his birth. He couldn't have orchestrated the way that he would die and what would happen to his body after he was dead. He couldn't have orchestrated the way that people would respond to him unless he was who he says he was, right? Unless God was really in this and Jesus really was who he says he was. I don't know how any uh, logical thinking mind can brush off these hundreds of messianic prophecies where God went to great lengths again and again and again to reveal to us, to show us, to demonstrate to us, to educate us on what this coming Messiah was going to be like so that we could know with certainty that he is who he says he is. As Isaiah 9-2 said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, not just any light, right? They've seen a great light and on them a light has shone. And you know, that great light has come into our darkness too. That great light has come into the darkness of my life and of your life too. And you might be thinking right now, oh, I'm not in darkness. I mean, I'm just fine the way I am. I have a good life and I'm actually a really good person. Well, not according to the Bible. Uh, Remember those 10 commandments we saw that God wrote down himself? If we look at just the last three of those 10 commandments, just the last three, Let's look what they, at what they say. Exodus 25, 15 says, you shall not steal. Have you ever stolen anything in your life? Anything? Even a pencil, a stamp, a sticker, anything? Exodus 20, verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That means you can't lie. You cannot lie. Have you ever in your life ever told a lie? And you might be thinking, well, yeah, but so is everyone, right? Exodus 20, 17, in case you've never stolen and you've never lied in your entire life, Exodus 20, 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. That covening means to long for. This 10 commandments, these rules of God wraps up with you can't long for anything that belongs to someone else. Have you ever longed for something that belongs to someone else? Sure you have. You know what that means? You've broken God's law. You're in darkness. 
you're not a good person. And because of that, you need light. You need the light. You need a great light. We all need that great light, the light that Jesus brings, because we cannot save ourselves, just like those boys could not save themselves. They needed someone to go in there and rescue them. They needed someone to free them of that darkness. We too need to be freed of the darkness that we are in because of our sin. We are all in sin, we've all broken God's perfect law, and we all need the light. We need the light. Because if we die in that darkness, if we die and we're still in the darkness, the Bible tells us that we will remain in darkness eternally. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 says, those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. They will live in darkness forever. If they refuse to be rescued by the light, they will live in darkness forever. And this is dark stuff, right? Which is why we all need Christmas. We all need the message of Christmas, which is a great light has come into our darkness. Jesus has come into our darkness to rescue us from our sins and to make us right with God. And many years ago, uh, the great thinker C.S. Lewis was talking about Jesus coming into our darkness, Jesus becoming a human to rescue us from our sins. And interestingly, he put it like this. He said, thinking of Jesus coming into our darkness to rescue us from our sins is like when one has the picture of a diver stripping off garment after garment, making himself naked, then flashing for a moment in the air, and then down through the green and warm and sunlit water into the pitch black, cold, freezing water, down into the mud and slime, then up again, his lungs almost bursting back again to the green and warm and sunlit water, and then out at last into the sunshine, holding in his hand the dripping thing he went down to get. That dripping thing it's me and it's you. It's the souls that Jesus plunged down into earth by becoming a human, by taking on flesh, by being that great light in our darkness so that he could rescue us from the ooze. He could rescue us from the darkness that we're in because of our sins. And speaking of diver, it reminds us of the boys again, right? You know, after those boys were discovered, it was a long and tedious journey to bring them back. It wasn't simple. Uh, there were seven additional days that passed before all the boys and their coach were able to get out because it was a four-hour journey from where the boys were located to the mouth of the cave. And those boys, they didn't know how to swim. They didn't know how to swim, so they had to be sedated by injection. 
they had to be wrapped up literally like a burrito, placed on a stretcher with an oxygen mask placed on their face. They had to put all of their trust in those divers. They had to put their full confidence, their life on the line, literally, all of the, their trust in those divers to get them out of there and to save them. And finally, by day 17, Tuesday, July 10th, all the boys and their coach had been rescued. One of the British divers who had been brought in to consult on this uh, said the following. He said a lot. <laughs> what happened again? It's the biggest miracle ever. Just to get any of them out alive would, would have been a miracle. But to get 13 out of 13, won't happen again. It's the biggest miracle ever. Just to get any of them out alive would have been a miracle. So this British diver get said getting 13. 13 of these lives rescued safely was a miracle. Now, God was definitely involved. I wouldn't say that it was a miracle because God didn't break natural law here. He used the talents and the skills and the abilities of these divers and this diving team. But you know what is a miracle? What is a miracle is Christmas, is the fact that God himself took on human flesh and came down to this earth as light to rescue us, to rescue you, and to rescue me from our captivity in sin. That is a miracle. And so the choice we have to make today is, will we trust Jesus? Will we put our lives in his hands the same way the boys needed to trust those divers? If the boys had said, no, I don't wanna do this because of their pride, or because of their fear, they wouldn't, have been they wouldn't have been rescued. The boys had to humble themselves and they had to trust those divers. They couldn't say, hey, I got this on my own. I'm gonna get out of here on my own. I'm gonna get out of here myself. They would have died. And in the same way, we can't get out of our sin on our own. We can't rescue ourselves. God has revealed to us again and again through the scriptures, through the message of the prophets, through his son, that we cannot do this on our own. Not one of us can. And if in any way we're thinking that after we die, we're gonna stand before the throne of God and based upon our own good works, he's going to deem us qualified for entrance into his kingdom. We are wrong. We are dead wrong because we have broken his law and we are in darkness. And this is something that we cannot in any way be indifferent about. And that's why the great light had to go to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he literally became darkness for us so that we wouldn't have to experience the darkness that we deserve, that we could be placed into his light. Again, we need to put our trust into him. And like Coach Eck, who was the coach of these 12 boys, 
Like he said in an interview after the rescue, he said, I would like to express my gratitude for people from the whole world, officials and volunteers that came to help us. Listen to what he said. He said, we promise that we will be good citizens to society. We will study and we will love people around the world the same way the world loves the 13 of us. Thank you. You know what's so neat about that is they acknowledge that having been rescued, they were going to live differently. They were going to live differently. You know, the same thing. It will happen for you, it happened for me. Having been rescued, you will live differently. And that's exactly what Jesus said. In the last verse of our Matthew passage that we already read, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you want to be rescued, to be rescued, you repent, you turn around. If you've been rescued, you will turn around. That's what repent means, is just you turn around, you put your trust fully in Jesus. You get on that stretcher, so to speak, and you let him take you out into the light. You start doing things God's way. You live for God, you live the way that he calls you to live. Because no matter how dark our darkness is, his great light is greater than our darkness. No matter how dark the cave of your sin, his great light is greater. And he's here to rescue you. He's here to rescue us. And that really is the message of Christmas. That we as humans have broken God's law. We are in darkness. But God loved us so much that he took on human flesh and he sent Jesus like that diver down into the mud, into the darkness to rescue us. He is the great light. And there is no sin that is greater than the light of Christ. There's some simple lyrics that really capture Jesus's ability to rescue us from the darkness. They say, he who is mighty has done a great thing. Taken on flesh, conquered death's sting. Shattered the darkness and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. Let's pray real quick. God, thank you so much for uh, bringing these women here this morning to enjoy our annual Christmas coffee together with us. God, I thank you for the message of Christmas. I thank you, God, for the fact that we know we are all in darkness because we've broken your holy and perfect law. God, we've stolen, we've lied, We've longed for what doesn't belong to us. We are rightfully separated from you because of our sin, but that didn't stop you. You love us, Lord. You sent your son to be that diver, to come down and to rescue us, to bring that great light, to shine that light upon us. God, please, I pray for all of us, if there are any here right now who have never really put their trust in you, 
and repented, as Jesus said, that they would turn, that they would get on that stretcher, that they would be willing to put all of their confidence in you to do whatever it is that you ask, Lord God, and to be changed, to from this day forth, December 1st, 2018, to say, I will live in the light. I will live for Jesus. I need to be rescued from my darkness. I don't want to die in darkness. I want to be with God forever. Jesus, I give my life to you. Thank you, God. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the message of Christmas. Thank you for the great links that you have gone to to show us that you are who you are and you have communicated us through, to us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.